0: of
1: the third kind Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron and I am one of your hosts. There's one other host that is joining me today, Danielson. Heyo. Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you'd like to support the show, then there's a few ways that you can do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we
0: release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. To sign up, it's only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes.
1: In total we have over 80 extra Patreon episodes, which is over 100 extra hours of listening pleasure for you. So to see that full list of Patreon episodes, you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com. You can click on the Patreon episodes tab, and there you will see an entire list of the Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have published.
0: Also today, we added another Patreon-exclusive episode which is a Theories Thursday Patreon exclusive where I cover the ship Estonia and Aaron goes over Project Camellio and then a couple mini
1: theories. Over Giseline Maxwell and the Mandela effect about deodorant and scalpers. Yeah, companies actually being the scalpers. Crazy stuff.
0: So you get access to that episode as well as all the others for just $5 a month.
1: Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, But you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes and that helps us out a ton. However, don't
0: feel pressured to leave us one. If you don't want to, that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show.
1: Also, one last thing. If you have any questions or wondering where Anna is, where Hans is, or where anyone is at in the show, or where's episodes 1 through 17, or have any commonly asked questions, you can go to our theoriesofthethirdkind.com website, click on FAQ, and there you will see a list of commonly asked questions that have all of your answers to everything that you may seek. So there you go. Boom. That's the end of the announcements. So today's episode is over the toxic lady. So how this episode will go today is that we will first talk about a woman named Gloria and then we'll go into the event and then strange facts and findings, theories, and then of course we'll wrap it up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode.
0: In 1994, a woman named Gloria Ramirez was rushed to the hospital.
1: As the medical staff started trying to resuscitate her, mysterious fumes engulfed the entire emergency room. Many of the nurses and doctors immediately became ill and fell to the ground. The entire hospital was evacuated and hazmat workers were brought in. What followed was a bizarre lengthy investigation
0: that had odd occurrences and cover-ups.
1: Even after 25 years, many strange and unanswered questions surround this case. This is
0: the story of Gloria Ramirez, The Toxic Lady.
1: Now, to understand this fully, let's first start off with a little background on the individual this entire story revolves around, Gloria Ramirez. So, Dan, can you tell us a little bit about her?
0: Gloria Ramirez was born on January 11, 1963, in Riverside, California. She spent the majority of her childhood and young adult life in this area. After high school, Gloria married and had two children, a daughter named Evelyn and a son named Angel. Eventually, her marriage came to an end, and she and her husband divorced.
1: After her divorce, Gloria continued to live in Riverside, where she would attend church regularly with her two children. She was described as very friendly, quick to smile, and a carefree joker who brought comfort and joy to others.
0: Gloria eventually met an individual named Johnny Estrada, and they started dating and quickly fell in love with one another. Things moved pretty quickly for them and they moved in together. At this point in her life, Gloria was extremely happy with where she was at. However, things took a quick turn for the worse.
1: At the end of 1993, just a few weeks before Gloria's 31st birthday, she was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Six weeks later, in February of 1994, Gloria went back to the doctor and learned that the cancer was advanced, meaning that it had already started to spread into other parts of her body.
0: Now, even though the cancer was advanced, it was still treatable. Gloria quickly started chemotherapy to try and get it under control. Just a little side note, but at this point, only Gloria's boyfriend knew of her diagnosis. Gloria just kept it between them two because she didn't want her family to worry. Just a little knowledge nugget for y'all. All
1: All right, so that's the little backstory of Gloria, her life, and what she was dealing with at that current time. Now let's get into what this entire episode is about. What happened on the night of February 19th?
0: On February 19th, 1994, At around 8.15 p.m., Johnny Estrada, a.k.a. Gloria's boyfriend, calls 911. Johnny tells the 911 operator that his girlfriend Gloria had been struggling with nausea and vomiting throughout the day. Also, he says that she is starting to have difficulty breathing and that whatever it is wrong with her seems to be escalating. It was at this point an ambulance was dispatched to pick Gloria up and take her to the hospital.
1: A few minutes later, the ambulance arrived at Gloria's home and began transporting her to the nearby Riverside General Hospital. On the ride there, Gloria seemed to be suffering some confusion as well as an elevated heart rate which sometimes was irregular and some abnormal breathing. The paramedics decided to insert an IV line into Gloria and spilled some of her blood in the process.
0: When the ambulance arrived at the hospital, Gloria was alert and talking. However, she still had an elevated irregular heartbeat. Because of that, she was taken immediately back to a room in the ER. There in the room, doctors ordered some of the nurses to administer diazepam, midazolam, and lorazepam to try and sedate and smooth out Gloria's heart rate. However, Gloria responded poorly to the sedatives, and it was at this point when things started to go downhill.
1: Gloria's body began to go into shock, and then moments later, she was unconscious, unresponsive, and had no heartbeat. It was at this moment that the hospital staff got the defibrillator machine to begin efforts in getting her heartbeat back. The staff opened up Gloria's shirt to stick the defibrillator pads on her chest, and they immediately noticed something odd. Gloria's body was covered in an oily sheen
0: that was described as not being sweat. The staff also noticed that her mouth was emanating a strange, fruity, garlicky smell. They began to defib her heart, but it was having no effect.
1: Now, at the same time that this was occurring, one of the ER nurses, Susan Kane, started a second IV line in Gloria's other arm. Susan then drew a blood sample from that IV site, and as she did, she began to smell something odd. Susan began looking around the ER room and asked, and I quote, Who popped the ammonia? Susan then noticed that the blood filled syringe contained strange
0: manila colored particles floating in the blood. She then handed the syringe that was filled with Gloria's blood to Julie Gorczynski who was the ER medical resident. After doing that, Susan bent down to smell the IV site to see if that was where the ammonia smell was coming from. Her face began burning, and then she passed
1: out. Julie then decided to sniff the syringe and began feeling queasy. She decided to leave the room, but as she was walking out, she noticed that she was having difficulty breathing, and her body began shaking. Julie then fainted. One of the other ER staff members witnessed this and placed Julie on a gurney and wheeled her out of the room.
0: Now, at this same time, there was also a respiratory therapist in the room named Maureen Welch. Maureen also decided to smell the syringe and said that it had an ammonia-like odor to it and then began to feel faint. She passed out and was also taken out of the room. Whenever she regained consciousness, Maureen's arms and legs started jerking uncontrollably.
1: It was at this point that the hospital declared an internal emergency. All patients and the majority of the hospital workers were evacuated to the parking lot and only a small crew stayed behind, continuing to work to save Gloria's life. However, At 8.50 p.m. only one hour after the 911 call and 35 minutes after Gloria had arrived to the ER, Gloria Ramirez was pronounced dead. Shortly after Gloria
0: was pronounced dead, the hospital decided to move Gloria's body into a temporary isolation room. A nurse named Sally Balderas decided to help move the body. Upon doing so, Sally began to vomit and reported feeling a burning sensation on her skin. She then left the hospital and walked outside into the parking lot.
1: All the staff members that had been affected by Gloria's body were being treated in the hospital's parking lot. Everyone's clothes were being removed and put into bags out of fear of a toxic chemical contamination or maybe some type of poisoning or something that was happening.
0: Around 11 p.m. that night, A hazardous materials team, hazmat team of course, arrived at the hospital in full hazmat suits. They began searching the hospital for any toxic
1: chemicals that could possibly be responsible for what had occurred. However, nothing was found. At the end of the night, Gloria's body had affected 23 of the 37 emergency room staff that night in the hospital. Five of those 23 staff members had to be held overnight in a different hospital due to their conditions.
0: And just a little knowledge nugget for you, but Sally Balderas, the nurse who moved Gloria's body, was hospitalized for 10 days with issues with breathing. And then Julie Gorczynski, the second girl to smell the syringe, well, she was actually admitted into ICU. She had a vascular necrosis, which is a condition where the bone tissue does not receive enough blood and begins to die. She ended up having to use crutches for months after hospitalization, which, you know, that's just a little
1: knowledge looking for you. So this shit was serious. Yeah, it was. All right, so that's the story of what happened that night. Now let's talk about what was found during the investigation into this incident. So the following day of the incident, inspectors from California's Worker Safety Agency deemed Gloria Ramirez's corpse as a public health hazard. Her body was then wrapped in two layers of heavy plastic and stored in an airtight aluminum casket.
0: An investigation into the incidents was started by the California's Department of Health and Human Services. They interviewed more than 30 hospital staff members that had been working on the night of Gloria Ramirez's death. And found that many of the people afflicted
1: shared symptoms. These symptoms included loss of consciousness, shortness of breath, nausea, and muscle spasms. The news media heard about this, which added more intrigue to it, and this story quickly became a media frenzy. However, shortly after that, the Department of Health and Human Services decided to release their findings, which stated Now get this. All of the affected hospital staff members had just suffered from mass hysteria. Yeah, so they're pretty much saying, hey, all of them went crazy because one of them went crazy. Right. Yeah, I don't buy it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, Gloria's body, on the other hand, was a different story. It had been almost a week since the incident and an autopsy hadn't even been done on it yet. Now, the reason for that was because the Riverside's coroner's office had to construct a special chamber to do the
1: autopsy in to keep their workers safe. In the Riverside County coroner's office, they constructed an airtight examining room where they could wear level A protective suits and gear that is normally used by specialists in cleaning up toxic spills. Oxygen, of course, would be pumped into these workers' suits through umbilical cords. Now, during the autopsy, they took blood, tissue, and even air samples from the body of Gloria.
0: Following the autopsy, the Riverside County Deputy Coroner Dan Capito stated that Gloria had not died from natural causes. However, only a couple days later, the county released an official statement that said Gloria's official cause of death was cardiac dysrhythmia caused by kidney failure due to her cervical cancer and that the case was officially closed.
1: And just a little knowledge nugget for you, but as soon as that statement was made by Dan Capito, who was the county deputy coroner, he switched his statement up and said that Gloria had in fact died from natural causes and that he misspoke days earlier. It's kind of the first odd, well, I don't want to say the first odd thing because there's a lot of odd things that happened before this, but it's one of the ones that kind of sticks out towards like, eh, maybe there was some, some, you know, something strange happening behind the scenes. But anyways, continue on. A month
0: after that autopsy had concluded, Gloria's family still hadn't received her body. They regularly called the coroner's office asking when it would be released because they wanted an independent autopsy done on it and then be able to bury her. Now, what did the county officials do?
1: Did they release Gloria's body? Nope. They sued the family. Yeah, messed up. So the county went to trial, and in front of a judge, they ended up requesting that, hey, if we release Gloria's body for an independent autopsy to be done, that the family's requesting, that independent autopsy, they have to follow the same protocols that we used. You know, The special airtight autopsy room and stuff. They have to do that as well.
0: During this trial, the family's attorney had discovered that the Riverside Coroner's office had secretly performed a second autopsy weeks after Gloria had died. The second autopsy didn't have her in the special airtight room or anything, which the judge thought that it was weird that the Riverside Coroner's office was demanding that from the family and using it as a reason to not let the family have Gloria's body.
1: All right, so the judge asked the coroner's officials to explain why they had done a second autopsy in secret and why it was done in a non-special room. So the coroner officials were like, hey, we simply were just finishing what we hadn't got to the first time around during the autopsy, which was kind of like a bullshit answer, but whatever, right? The judge then stated that the county's
0: actions gave the appearance to the public that the county is trying to hide something.
1: Yeah, it did seem like that.
0: Yeah. The judge then ordered county officials to answer questions under oath about Gloria. It was at this moment that the county abruptly withdrew its lawsuit against the family and stated that her body would be released to the family.
1: Yeah. So once the judge was like, hey, we're going to ask you questions under oath, the county was like, mm, no, nope, we're done with the lawsuit here. Family, you can have Gloria's body. That's. Mm. Yeah. So. Two months after Gloria had died, her body was finally released by the Riverside County coroner's office. Her corpse was delivered in poor condition to an Orange County pathologist that had been hired by Gloria's family to conduct an independent autopsy. Now, what this independent autopsy had found was strange, to say the least. Gloria's heart was missing.
0: Her organs were cross contaminated with fecal matter and her body was badly decomposed. All of her internal organs were removed during the Riverside autopsy team and had been slopped together in a plastic bag as if they were turkey giblets. Nothing conclusive came from the autopsy.
1: On April 20, 1994, two months after her death, Gloria was finally buried in Riverside, California. However, even to this day, Her heart has not been released by the county, and they refuse to answer any questions regarding it. And that right there is the official story of the Gloria Ramirez case, which I don't know why they would want to keep the heart. Really strange. Speaking of strange stuff, it doesn't stop there because we have a lot of weird shit that still surrounds this case that we have not gotten into yet. Um, But before we do, We're going to take a quick 60-second break, and we'll be right back, real quick, right back. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. All right, now that we're back, Dan, do you want to start us off and tell us the first strange fact and finding?
0: So the first strange fact and finding that we are going to go over are some items that went missing. Now, almost immediately after Gloria's death, crucial evidence began to just randomly disappear.
1: For example, do you remember that syringe that was used to draw her blood? The one that ended up having the manila crystals in it or whatever? Yeah. Well, that just vanished. So for weeks, the media, the family of Gloria, everybody was asking the Riverside County spokesperson, Tom DeSantis, Hey, man. Where's this syringe at? But Tom kept dodging the questions. He, he wouldn't answer them. Uh, finally, during a news conference, Tom stated that, hey, the syringe is missing. And on the night of February 19th, the fire department didn't think to retrieve the syringe. And it was likely tossed into the trash. So he kind of put off the fault on uh, the fire department.
0: Now, that would seem reasonable, right? I mean, a lot of hectic stuff was going on that night, and I could see the fire department doing that. However, there was an issue. So an ER nurse named Sally Jo McCorkle was the last person to handle the syringe that night, and during a sworn testimony at the Gloria Ramirez lawsuit, Sally stated that the fire department's hazardous materials specialist did inquire about the needle. Sally said she was asked by both the hazmat crew and her supervisor where exactly she had disposed of the syringe and how they could find it.
1: Now, another thing that had just disappeared out of the blue was the blood that was taken from Gloria that night in the hospital right before she died. That vial of blood just vanished. And it doesn't stop there. Another odd thing that occurred
0: was that Gloria's IV bag that had been used on her was sent to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for testing. However, the Riverside Coroner Dan Cupido stated that he never bothered to follow up with the FDA and that he had failed to call and find out whether the bag had indeed been tested. Now, an FDA spokeswoman was asked about this and they refused to confirm whether they had received or even tested the bag.
1: Which... I don't know why you would not look into this. You sent it out for testing. Why not call the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and say, hey, what's up with the test? Unless he actually didn't send it out and he's just trying to cover his ass, which it's my personal opinion. I think that that would happen. But, hey, we're going to keep opinions and theories until the end. So let's continue on.
0: They could have called up too saying, hey, we finished testing, but they never called either. So,
1: yeah, true. So. Other materials in the hospital that night, like beddings, towels, and clothing that was worn by the ER staff, were all packed into barrels and sent to a desert waste facility where they just sat there in the sun for several months. And no tests were performed on any of the materials inside those barrels. None of them. Wow. So that's the first strange fact in finding. that's not our last. So, Dan, tell us about this next one.
0: Our next strange fact and finding revolves around a woman named Stephanie Albright. Stephanie Albright was the initial investigator from the coroner's office that was assigned to the case. She was considered a top investigator and a go-getter. However, one month into the investigation, she committed suicide. Now, the Riverside Deputy Coroner, Dan Cupido, was asked about Stephanie's suicide, in which he said, And I quote, due to the case, Stephanie Albright may have been under a lot of pressure.
1: Hmm. Suspicious. Very. We always see that. Suicides, man. Makes you think. Makes you wonder. Something's being hidden. Yeah. All right. So let's go on to our next strange fact and finding, which revolves around some very weird things that occurred during the investigation. So, you know how we talked about how California sent some state investigators to do their own investigation, right? Yeah. Well, those two individuals that were sent were Charles Cox, who was the California OSHA district manager, and Tom Kranjavich, who was a California OSHA inspector, and I'm pretty sure I mispronounced Tom's last name. All right.
0: Now, you remember us talking about the Riverside County Coroner's office, and- How they had to build that airtight chamber for Gloria's autopsy? Yep. Well, Tom and Charles actually helped out designing that and the autopsy plan itself. They had spent hours with Riverside County Coroner's officials, making sure everything was in place and ready to go.
1: So the day of the autopsy, both Tom and Charles arrived at the Riverside office looked over the autopsy chamber and emergency standby equipment and made sure that everything was in order. It was Tom and Charles's job to ensure that the people who entered that chamber were protected. And by law, the autopsy couldn't start until they gave the go-ahead. Now, right
0: before the autopsy was supposed to begin, Riverside County coroner official Scotty Hill ordered both Tom and Charles to leave. Both of them were like, uh, no, we are in compliance with state law here, Scotty, and the autopsy can't start without our okay, so we are not leaving.
1: It was at this point, Scotty motioned to the Riverside Police Sergeant, who then escorted both Tom and Charles out of the building and off the property. It was at this very moment that Charles stated that everything about the Gloria Ramirez case seemed to change. Charles went on record saying, and we quote, I had never encountered such hostility in all my years working for California
0: OSHA. As we are being led off the property by the police sergeant, I had the feeling that something very serious had occurred at the hospital and the coroner knew what it was. They wanted us out of there because they were afraid we might find out what really happened at the hospital that night.
1: A week later, both Tom and Charles were taken off the investigation. They were both told that they were taken off of the case because they had been disruptive and uncooperative with the Riverside officials. Scotty Hill, the guy who kicked them out, had stated that both Tom and Charles had threatened and intimidated everyone there and tried to delay the autopsy. And just a little knowledge nugget here, but uh, Charles did state that off the record, he was told that this case was a highly sensitive political one, and that is the real reason why he was taken off of it. So just a little knowledge nugget. A highly sensitive political one. Interesting. Take it as you will. All
0: right. So after Tom and Charles were taken off the case, The Ramirez investigation was transferred to OSHA's regional office in Anaheim, and a new investigator was assigned. However, that investigator didn't even step foot in the hospital until six weeks later.
1: Hmm. Talk about priorities, huh? Right. All right, so let's go into our next strange fact and finding, which revolves around an email. Now, only a day or two after Tom and Charles were pulled off the case... The head of the Riverside County Health Services Agency, he ended up sending like a cryptic email to his staff. And this email ordered everyone to keep their mouth shut about the fumes incident because of, and I quote, a very sensitive agreement with OSHA that could be disrupted with adverse press reporting. Now, this email ended up being leaked to the media anyways, who then decided to question OSHA's Southern California chief, whom responded with, and I quote again, I am not sure what email you're talking about. We have not entered into any kind of sensitive agreement, which, eh, mm. it's weird. All right. So what's the next strange facts in finding, Dan?
0: All right. Our next strange fact and finding revolves around blood samples that were taken. So Gloria and Julie Korczynski, the medical doctor in the ER room who passed out, both of them had their blood taken and sent off for testing. The test results showed that both Julie and Gloria had the decreased enzymes in their blood that suggest pesticide poisoning. To add to this, both Julie and the nurse Sally both treated with pesticide antidote. Another strange thing to kind of keep in your back pocket is that just four days before Gloria arrived at the hospital, the entire ER had been sprayed with pesticides.
1: Makes you think, huh? Hmm. Yep. All right. So our last strange fact and finding comes from the Livermore Laboratory. So this lab was sent some autopsy samples of Gloria Ramirez. In these tissue samples, they discovered an abnormally large amount of dimethyl sulfone. Now, keep that in mind because this strange fact and finding of this dimethyl sulfone plays a role in our very first theory, which we're going to get into theories right after this break. It's our last one. We'll be right back. Give us 60, sen- 60 seconds. I love you. Bye. All right, we're back. Dan, you look ecstatic and ready to go for our first theory, so tell us about it.
0: Our first theory comes from Livermore Labs, like Aaron was saying, and connects to our last strange fact and finding. So those samples that had that compound in them, well, Livermore Labs theorized what they could have come from. They stated that Gloria used an anti-inflammatory gel called DMSO to cope with their cancer pains. The gel could account for the garlicky smell in the oily sheen. Also, Livermore noted that the DMSO is one oxygen atom away from the compound dimethylsulfone, the mysterious compound found in excess in Gloria's autopsy samples.
1: Livermore then performed a test combining DMSO with oxygen, which was exactly how the oxygen was administered to Gloria that night through an O2 mask. The result was an oversaturation of dimethyl sulfone to the point where white crystals were formed. These crystals were said to look similar to the manila-colored particles seen in Gloria's blood by medical staff that night. This proved how dimethyl sulfone appeared in excess in her autopsy samples. Now, the only issue here is that this dimethyl sulfone, it's actually harmless. So they're like, what the hell?
0: However, Livermore Labs did some more theorizing. They stated that if the dimethyl sulfone broke down, perhaps due to the electrical shocks from the defibrillator, and then combined with natural sulfate compounds in Gloria, that it could form dimethyl sulfate, which is a strong chemical that can cause damage to the heart, liver, kidneys. It can also cause paralysis, delirium, and convulsions.
1: I mean, this theory sounds good. However, it's been extremely scrutinized by other scientists who have stated that it is impossible for this to occur. And it is worth noting that Livermore Lab didn't actually run any tests or any simulations to prove this dimethyl sulfate theory. They just hypothesized about it. They said, hey, it's possible this could happen. Once they And once they started getting, like, heavily scrutinized by the scientific community over this theory, the head of the Livermore Lab came out and said, Look, hey, we've never said this is what happened. We just said that people should look into it. So, regardless of that statement, uh, the Riverside Corner's office decided to go with this theory and released a statement in November of 1994 stating, that this was most likely the cause of what occurred, even though it wasn't proven. So that's the first theory.
0: So even though they got scrutinized over that theory, they legit, that's just what they went with.
1: Yeah, that's what the uh, Riverside Coroner's office went with. They went with one, and then the California Department of Health went with another one, which is what we're about to go over. So tell us about that, Dan.
0: All right, this next theory comes from the California Department of Health and Human Services. So. The California Department of Health and Human Services interviewed 34 emergency room staff members that were on duty the night of Gloria's death. They concluded that the emergency room staff experienced what was called mass hysteria. Now, mass hysteria is defined as an illness with no identifiable environmental cause despite a group of people agreeing on a set
1: of experienced symptoms. So what was the reasoning of California Department of Health and Human Services' conclusion of mass hysteria? Well, they pointed to the absence of poison in Gloria's system. They also stated the fact that nobody in the ambulance on the way to the hospital had experienced any symptoms. And if you remember, the ambulance workers did insert the first IV into her arm and spilt some blood out, right? True. Now, the California Department of Health also stated that most Mass hysteria symptoms have an environmental trigger that sets off the experiencing of symptoms. And they went on to say that the strange, fruity, garlicky odor was this trigger of everybody going into mass hysteria.
0: Now, just to add more to this theory, you remember Julie Gorchinsky, right? You know, the one medical resident who was the most affected by the incident. Well. She actually filed a $6 million lawsuit against the hospital and also the coroner's office, stating that she disapproved of the mass hysteria explanation. Another individual, Maureen Welch, who was the respiratory therapist, she also went on record stating that she was not a victim of mass hysteria.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. It's weird, man. I mean, they
0: do have a point about, you know, how the people in the ambulance, the paramedics, they didn't
1: suffer from any. Symptoms of all this. I think our last theory is the truth, which we have. We have two more theories. We got one from the family, and then we got our last one, which I am one hundred percent for. But before we get to that one, Dan, All all right, tell us the theory that comes from Gloria's family.
0: So this theory, like Aaron said, it comes from Gloria's family. So they were interviewed multiple times and the entire family has stated that they believe that the emergency room incident and in Gloria's death was due to hazardous conditions already present at the Riverside General Hospital. And to back up their theory, they point to previous incidents. One of them being in 1991, three years before Gloria's death, two hospital employees were forced to receive medical treatment after a sterilizer leaked poisonous gas. Another incident that the family points to was in 1993, in which sewer gas was found in the emergency room during an inspection. The family believes that the hospital is trying to cover up the fact that the hospital had hazardous conditions and that it had been ignored by them and the hospital is covering it up so that they don't get sued.
1: Well, they're already getting sued by Gorchinsky, so.
0: Yeah. <sighs> oh, sewer gas?
1: Yeah. Nasty. Especially in the ER, man. Come on now, that's a lot of leaks, though. yeah let's get into our our last theory, and this one's a juicy one. We go hard in the pain in this one. so this theory is that the facilities inside of the hospital were used to produce methamphetamine, aka meth, uh, the precursor chemicals that are used to make meth, to be exact, those were being produced in the hospital now. I, I, I know what you're saying what a secret meth lab in a hospital no way just hear us out on this because we have some very very compelling evidence that points to this being it
0: now to really understand this theory we have to dive deep into this topic we have to go back and tell you about some details of what happened during certain points of this event. So let's first talk about all the employees smelling this weird odor. So we looked into this, and the smells and the symptoms that the ER staff experienced actually matched those associated with exposure to meth fumes.
1: To back this up even further, a forensic chemist named Tom Netwall, who analyzes drug lab materials for the Colorado Bureau of Investigation, was told about the smells and symptoms that the ER staff had experienced, and he went on record stating that those smells and symptoms are classic to meth fume exposure, and it would be consistent with a drug laboratory. To add even
0: more to this theory, around that time of the incident, Riverside County started to have meth labs pop up all over the place. For example, in 1995, three people were arrested for running a meth lab at a daycare center there in Riverside. And get this, in 1996, police found a meth lab at a home of a middle
1: school teacher. Now, we know this sounds a little ridiculous, right? A meth lab being run in a public hospital. Well, it isn't too crazy, because this has happened before. Back in 1990, a public medical facility in Denver, Colorado, was busted for having a meth lab in it. An employee at the facility that worked night shift had set up a lab within the lab and was manufacturing meth at night. This operation was discovered after a supervisor smelled strong chemical fumes.
0: So let's just think about it. Meth could easily be made at a hospital. You have multiple labs and a lot of locked doors. Meth can be made by just about anyone with a few beakers and some solvents. Now, not only is the drug simple to cook, but a $500 investment in chemicals and equipment can quickly be turned to $10,000. Now, we are not promoting making meth. We're just trying to prove our theory here, so calm down.
1: Yeah. So, ultimately, this theory is not full-on meth making, but they're making a precursor chemical to make meth, and that precursor chemical was being manufactured in the hospital and then transported out to be completed somewhere else. All right, so this theory would go, if this was indeed happening, that very quickly into the investigation, these county officials figured out that there were some hospital workers running their own side business You know, at the hospital facilities, making this precursor chemical to meth there at the hospital. And as a result of this, they decided to cover everything up so that they didn't get bad publicity. This theory makes sense.
0: However, that still doesn't explain what happened to Gloria. Well, there is a theory that connects to the meth one. So what if these precursor chemicals that were being made at the hospital were hidden and packaged in IV bags and then being smuggled out of the hospital. Then somehow one of those IV bags accidentally ended up in the ER. Then you have an ER nurse accidentally inject its contents into Gloria. If a nurse had squeezed some of the fluid from the bag before starting her IV, it could explain how the strong fumes got into the air.
1: Now, it is worth noting that finished meth has no detectable smell unless it's been poorly made but the precursors that are used in making meth commonly give off a strong ammonia and sewage-like odor, which is consistent with what the ER staff had described the smell being.
0: So that brings up an additional question. If the precursors of meth were being made in the hospital, why weren't the odors being smelled before the incident? Well. This is where things get odd, because there were some hospital records that stated that sewer-like smells were reported regularly, but no source could ever be found. And get this, a month before Gloria's death, a cancer patient at that hospital actually fled his room after he and his wife were overcome by strange fumes that were so intense that they began to vomit. Two days later, the same chemical fumes filled his room and again, he was forced to
1: flee it. Hospital records even showed that the morning before Gloria had arrived, many of the hospital staff reported sewer-like odors. And if that isn't enough proof for you, guess what was named the meth capital of the world in 1993 by the Bureau of Narcotics? Riverside, California. No shit. So there you go. Boom. Me and Dan solved it. You're welcome. Good night
0: boom end of episode <laughs>
1: <laughs> but seriously i mean we're going to roll into personal thoughts and theories right now but that 100% is my personal thought and theory i truly believe that there was a secret meth lab not making meth but making the precursor chemicals to make meth that was being manufactured there at that hospital and being transported out in iv bags one of those iv bags up ended up inside of the er accidentally given to gloria and the Riverside County found this out and had to cover it up.
0: Yeah, because if not, the whole friggin' hospital would be shut down
1: for that. Yeah, and sued out of existence.
0: I mean, and you think about it, nurses, usually when they, before they give you a shot or something like that, they always squeeze the syringe or whatever to make sure that the there's no air bubbles in the needle. Yep. So that's always a thing. That nurse just grabbed the wrong IV bag.
1: Yeah. I agree. So, is that the theory you're going with too? Your personal thoughts and theories? It is compelling, isn't it?
0: It's very compelling. Like, it's hard to not agree with that because a lot of the other ones, you know, they're interesting. But this one, like, okay, mass hysteria. I don't believe in that one. I mean, yeah, there is mass hysteria that happens, but not in this case because not every, not it didn't happen to everybody because if it was, it would have like spread, wouldn't it? To where everybody did.
1: Yes, to everybody. But it didn't. It just happened to a select few. Yeah. Well, not a select few, like what, 23?
0: Yeah. And then, of course, the Livermore Labs one where they blame the anti-inflammatory gel. The
1: DMSO and the
0: dimethyl sulfone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That one, I I don't even know why they even said anything like that.
1: I think they're just trying to reach for a conclusion. And that's why the Riverside Corners office was like, oh, yeah, great. That's great. We're going to go with that.
0: Yeah, but then again, the Ramirez family one, where the hospital just had hazardous conditions. Well, technically with the meth lab, they weren't wrong.
1: Yeah, they did have hazardous conditions.
0: Some type of poison or something was leaking or some kind of fumes and shit. So, yeah, Ramirez family wasn't lying. Meth lab definitely could be it. I mean, I, I wanted to be like it was something else. Like, I, I looked hard. The boyfriend maybe, or husband, like, mean, but theres nothing to
1: there's, n- there's nothing that points at that. And I, I initially wanted to go with a pesticide, but if it was the pesticides that were sprayed what the day before, wouldn't it affect everybody immediately, not just during that night, whenever Glory arrived at the hospital?: Yeah, and like, you know, there's, there's, not, there's not just one patient at the ER.
0: Honestly, we're, we could say that. There's not going to be just one patient, unless it's a very, very, very small town. Yeah. So it had to affect more than one patient, but it only seemed to happen to Gloria, then the nurse, and a couple others. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's kind of hard just to say it was the pesticides. Unless it was going, well, no, because I was like thinking maybe like open wounds or something like that. But like I said, it's ER. There's going to be more people with IVs and stuff like that.
1: Regardless, it's a very strange and odd story. And I... I'm glad we went with it.
0: Oh, yeah. I like this one a lot. Not that what happened, but just mysteriousness of it.
1: Yeah. And the, the feeling of something being covered up, right, by the Riverside County. It just doesn't feel right.
0: I mean, I'm guessing the, her body wasn't that, uh, I guess, contaminated if they were able to do a second autopsy with no airtight thing. So, yeah, it had to be something else. Yep. And her heart's still missing.
1: Oh, yeah, the hearts. That's weird. Hey, and if uh, if you're a listener and you want to say, hey, I, I think I know what it is, it could be this. Shoot us an email, either Aaron at TheoriesOfTheThirdKind.com. It's spelled A-A-R-O-N. Or you can send it to Dan, D-A-N, at TheoriesOfTheThirdKind.com. Let us know what your theory is. We'd love to hear it, you know. What if they kept the heart, the hospital kept the heart because
0: with the defibrillator, they just, they literally screwed her heart up.
1: Eh, the defibrillators are programmed to not do that, though. When you put the pads on the people, if you touch, the defibrillator won't. The machine will detect that and it will not go off.
0: But that's for the newer ones, right? This was happened in '94.
1: Oh yeah, you're right. Eh, I don't know. I don't know what they were like back then. They had the pads clear. Yeah, they had like the hand ones, whatever. You... Yeah. I
0: mean, hey, you seen the sh- you seen the movies where they're just like. For torturing. Like, ah, oh, turn it up. <sighs> yeah.
1: That's
0: the only reason I think they could keep the heart.
1: Well, even then, I mean, you, you have, I, I don't think it was anything done by the ER staff that was trying to cover something up. Because you got Julie Gorchinski, who's the head medical resident, the, pretty much the doctor over it. And she's super screwed up. And she's suing the, um, the hospital.
0: Yeah, but she's the one that, uh, she passed out afterwards, right?
1: Yeah. Her and Sally and all the rest of them. But that means
0: that another doctor had to come in and take over.
1: Yeah, but I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't think that the hospital workers did anything that they'd be trying to cover up.
0: Maybe it was a doctor that did run the meth lab, and he came in and he cleaned everything up.
1: Maybe. All right. Do you have anything else you want to add to the episode today? Any more theories or thoughts or anything? Mm, no, as much as I
0: wanted to keep digging, there wasn't really much else to find on it.
1: Yeah, we pretty much dug the entire topic up and looked through the deep, dark webs and everything to try to find as much as we could. And that's it. But we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email. Yes. All right. So that's the end of the episode. Um, I guess we move on to our on the scene which if you are unfamiliar with what our on-the-scene is, it is where a listener goes out onto the streets and interviews a random individual, asking them about their personal thoughts and theories about current conspiracy happenings. So that means you, yes, you, the listener, can go and do this. Just get your phone out, record your interaction, an interview with somebody, asking them questions, make sure it's less than two minutes long, and send it to either Aaron or Dan at TheoriesOfTheThirdKind.com. And your on the scene will be played. Now we do only one a week. So it will enter in the, uh, the order that we get them in is the order that we play them. All right. So our on the scene this week is from Sam. So we'll play that right now.
0: What's up everybody? This is Sam. On scene. We got former President Donald Trump. My first question to you, Mr. Trump, is, will you ever tell the public what you know about Roswell? So many people ask me that question. I know, but the people want to know the truth. Question, but it's actually, there are millions and millions of people that want to go there, that want to see it. I won't talk to you about what I know about it, but it's very interesting. But Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Okay, I got a second question for you. Will you consider Bigfoot as your VP if you decide to run again? I'll have to think about that one. Okay, awesome. And thank you for your time. I appreciate it.
1: (laughs) I like that on the scene. Was that really Donald Trump? Yeah, well done. Well done on the scene. I enjoyed it. Thank you for that, Sam.
0: Yes, thank you for that. And he better make Bigfoot his VP, but then again... Bigfoot's actually running for president.
1: Yeah, it's Bigfoot and Chupacabra as his VP. So, sorry.
0: I don't know. We might drop Chupacabra. He didn't do much help for uh, Bigfoot. So, we might find another VP.
1: Yeah, that's true. All right. So, uh, again, submit your on the scenes to our emails and you'll be played. All right. So, let's go on to shout outs. Dan, do you want to start us off for shout outs? You want me to? Doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, I don't have that many, so I'll go ahead. All right. Uh, we got. Sorry if I say your name wrong, Wong. Sorry if I say your name wrong. Queen La D. Then we have Cheryl A. Then Devin L. Then uh Ryan F. Then Brennick D. Sarah A. Let's see. Ashay P and carl n that is all i have for facebook then nice
1: all right so for instagram uh we got delgado shout out to you shout out to jace woodman he said hey me and my girlfriend are driving from florida uh or we're driving to florida from kansas and have been hooked love you well thank you love you too um JKB4952.5 said, hey, just wanted to give you guys five stars. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you. Shout out to Tyler Hutchinson. Uh, Lalo Martin. Shout out to you. Lalo Mar Martin, not Martin. Marin, my bad. Pretty sure I said your first name wrong as well. Sorry about that. Uh, Haley said, hey, I'm from England. Just wanted to say I'm hooked on your podcast a few weeks ago. Shout out to you. Thank you. Shout out to Luis Poblano. Um, Shout out to Wendy. She said, hey, can I get a shout out? Me and my boyfriend listen to your podcast every week. Love your show. Hey, shout out to you, Wendy. Shout out to your boyfriend. Uh, Guess what? He owes you dinner and a movie because Dan said so.
0: That's right. You treat her good.
1: Shout out to Devin Lake. Uh, Devin sent us a picture. Of Bigfoot with a big old booty. I don't know if you can see that. Yes, Devin. And said, this is for Dan. My man's is thick. Shout out to you for that. Uh, Shout out to Fidel Cas- Cashflow. <laughs> I like that name. Um, Shout me and my girlfriend Melanie out. We love y'all, Aaron and Daniel, son. Well, thank you. We love you too. Much love. Uh, shout out to Melissa guy. Autobog, Autobog, I don't know how to pronounce your last name I'm sorry Amanda Gibbs let's see Sherard y- Yadav says hey guys I'm from India and I love your podcast uh, mention my name Sean Paul I'd be very happy I listen to your podcast 24-7 and I'm stoned right now because I'm Smoking one of the best hash in the world. Well, shout-out to you, Sean Paul from India. Love you. And Peyton, shout-out to you. Uh, now we're going to go over to my personal Instagram for the shout-outs. Let's see. All right. Uh, right. Shout-out to Word, Priscilla, Marcos Mata. He says, hey, this is Desperado from Patreon. Love the podcast. Not going to lie, bro. You sound like Daniel Tosh. Well, thanks, man. I don't know if that's good or bad. Mm, I don't know. Um, Shout out to Chris Anderson. Shout out to Alyssa. She said, Aaron, my husband and I love your podcast. We just started listening to you. Much love, Alyssa and Mike Signs. Shout out to you guys. I love you. Um, Shout out to Alexa. I'd love a shout out this week on the episode. You can just say Alexa. Shout out to Brody. And I got a couple more. Diego Lazardo, B. Mills, The Levy, Jordan A, JD, Brian Quinn. And that's all I have for personal Instagrams or for personal Instagram. And I know I got a couple shout outs on Discord I want to give to people. I want to shout out our mod team. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Arnold, OG Dale, Ellie, uh, Defunk, hi C. Who else? Am I missing somebody? I think that's it. So shout out to you guys. Love you. Proud of you for everything that you do. Thank you for the support and the love. Alright, that's all I have for shout out. Sorry it was so long. You got any more?
0: Uh, no. Other than the mod team, thank you for helping us and helping us set up things. Definitely uh, suggesting new new ways of doing, messing with uh, Discord. It's helped a lot.
1: Yeah, and if you're not a part of the Discord, You automatically get uh, access to our Discord if you join our Patreon. And you link your Discord. Yes, you link your Discord. And not this coming week, not like the week starting the 6th, but starting the 13th. I think somewhere between like the 13th and the 16th. We should do like something live on Discord for everybody. Me and you, we should do like a live stream, live Q&A. You want to do that then?
0: Yeah, we can do live
1: Q&A. All right. We'll take questions live. We'll answers. We'll play games together. We'll do whatever. We'll do whatever. We'll play games. We'll give away merch. Um, You got anything else you want to add to today's episode? I have no other shout-outs. All Alright. So let's just go to Free Talk then. So how was your weekend? Was it good?
0: It was fun. I haven't played disc golf in a while, so I finally went. Played some disc golf. Uh, it was cold. It was like 40 degrees. And uh, I lost my first disc that was quite upsetting.
1: How'd you lose it?
0: So for some odd reason, well, probably about 50% of the throws I did decided to go straight into the water. Even though the little stream was like probably two or three feet deep, usually I'm able to get them out in the, at this park. But for some reason, the stream was like a pitch black color.
1: So I wasn't able to find my disc. Was it the custom one that you... No. Oh okay, good. Good. No, definitely not that one.
0: I tried not to throw that one around water.
1: How expensive are those frisbees?
0: Uh, they can range like 10 to 20 dollars maybe. Oh, okay. So it's not too bad. No, but it was my American Flag Rock 3 disc. Oh, I'm a little upset about that.
1: That sucks.
0: Yeah. But it was my first casualty.
1: Do you write your name on your back of them so if like they get lost they can call it? I didn't do it on this one which
0: so whoever does find it gets a free disc. Oh, okay. Not like many people actually call the numbers to give the disc back either. A lot of people don't do that cuz we had one incident where we found a disc and I actually sent a text to the number talking to the person saying like hey, I left it on this T here and they even sent a picture of it. And they were still there. Not even 5 minutes they texted like hey, did you leave the disc on this T here? I'm like, yeah. It's like, I sent you a picture of it. They're like, it's not here no more. So literally someone else came by, decided to take it and keep it.
1: Oh, uh, what a bunch of dicks, man. Yeah. Horrible.
0: People see a, see a disc, take a little bit of rubbing alcohol, boom, name's gone. Sucks.
1: Yeah. So you got some disc golf in this weekend. What else did you do?
0: Uh, Ooh, I went to a Vietnamese restaurant that was five minutes away from the park.
1: Got some banh mi. And some spring rolls. She was good. (laughs) Some of your stomping grounds. Okay. Right. Tapping into your heritage. Dude, the food was so good.
0: Mm. Did
1: your mom go with you? No. Oh, did you bring her some leftovers? No. Damn. No, I actually
0: told her I was going to take her back up there. I'm going to take her there one day.
1: Yeah, you need to. She's such a sweet lady. She is. What'd you do? I just worked, man. I, I worked night shift all this weekend, so... I pretty much would get to work and uh do my morning meeting and then do my routines and then just research and read or watch the football game. yeah, night shift
0: during not out is is pretty boring.
1: yeah, yeah my i I don't do much. there's not much work to do during the uh, night shift, but yeah i have I have the next few days off, which I'm excited about. i have I think till Friday off. And then Saturday and Sunday, I go back and I work days, twelves, then I have Monday off, and then I go back on night shift for like seven days straight, which kind of sucks. Huh. Yeah, it's brutal, but oh well.
0: Oh, Aaron, when are we planning that trip? You know, staying at uh, somewhere haunted. Trip? What are you talking about? Well, I know we canceled the one place we were going to because it was very expensive.
1: Yeah, okay, so... Hold on. We have to tell the listeners what we are planning since we aren't doing it anymore, or what we were planning. This is true. All right. So Lizzie Borden, right, the chick who axe murdered her entire family. Her place is not far from where I live, or her house that she lived in. It's not far from where I live. You can go and rent a room out at that place for I don't know, like three four hundred dollars. It's kind of expensive. Actually, it's really expensive for one night. Well, yeah. we thought about, hey, let's see how much it will be to rent out the entire house. We'll get GoPros and we'll tape us walking around the house and basically being like, hey, Lizzie, come on out with your axe, you know, and maybe bring a Ouija board or something. Trying to get some more content.
0: Now, I wouldn't be going around saying, come out with your axe and whatnot. <laughs> we all know that's Aaron.
1: Yeah. So I would be doing it. Dan would be like, OK, calm down. Um, but we had that idea. We even shopped GoPros and we were going to have it set up to where like one was on our face, one was pointing outwards. We were all ready to go until we found out that to rent the entire home was not only like what, $1,500 plus all of the rooms, which there was like six or seven rooms that were like three to $400 each. So easily over $3,500 to rent out the entire house.
0: Then you had to pay extra just to actually roam the house.
1: Yeah, you had to pay extra to roam the house, which is ridiculous. And then on top of all that, you had to get permission to actually film on the premises, which is ridiculous, in my opinion.
0: Which that right there, that right there is a perfect example
1: of a scalper. That is. And we talk about scalpers in our Patreon episode. Yeah. But no, that's, that.
0: so that plan was ruined, so we're still trying to figure out what we're going to do next.
1: Yeah, where are we going to go? thinking like an, an insane asylum or something. The one in uh, northern New Hampshire that I talked about, or was it Maine? I think it was Maine. The one that was broken down and you can't trespass on it? Oh, that's right, you can't. But we're going to f*** it. We're going to do it anyways. We're going to do it, we're going to trespass anyways. No, I'm just kidding. We are not going to do that. We do not condone breaking the law. Um, but we we have to find somewhere to go, somewhere we can get some footage. Somewhere, I don't know. There has to be somewhere. We can go to Betty and Barney's place where they abducted them at. That's true. And we could be like, "Hey, aliens abduct me."
0: Cuz uh was it Exeter has that uh usually has that alien festival every year.
1: Yeah, Exeter, New Hampshire has that alien uh, UFO festival from their UFO sighting. But that was canceled this year due to coronavirus, and we we were going to go to that. we we got to find another convention. If any of the listeners, if you guys know, or girls, guys as in like general people, not just the male specific. I say it as in like a group. If any of you listeners know of any conventions or anything going on, send us an email. We'll go to it and get some footage and do some live on the scenes and stuff like that. Conventions, or haunted places, or anywhere where we could go and film, please send us that information. Yeah, anywhere, I guess, like around the New Hampshire area, maybe around the Virginia area. Screw it. At this point, I'm thinking United States wide. I don't even care. Road trip it.
0: You know what? We're going to Denver Airport, and we're going to go down in underneath
1: of it. I don't want to get arrested. I don't don't want to get arrested, Dan.
0: We're not going to be arrested. We're just going to get probed. It's okay.
1: Ugh. All right. I guess we should just roll it out, right? Yeah. All right. Well, that's the end of the episode today. I want to thank you all for joining us. And again, thank you for your support. You are amazing. Every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out?
0: Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts.
1: Because you are not alone.